This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 42 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Catherine Haddad in Fecta, Germany. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, welcome back already. And thanks for jumping in the co-host chair this week, Catherine. Great to have you back. No problem. It's my pleasure. Well, I know we only just talked last week, but it evoked uh, several ideas, and uh, we want to uh, include some of those on the show this week, including uh, a conversation with our guest, Wayne Shannon, um, the British rider, of course, based in England. Um, and he, of course, has taken over the uh, the general secretary chair in the um, brand-new position, right, at the uh, Dressage Riders Club. That's correct. It's one of the positions that we, we voted in at the last meeting, which was held in Neumünster a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Wayne was voted in as our Secretary General and Kira Kirkland as our Vice President. And they are in, in addition to the President, who is Marguerite Otto Crepon. Well, wonderful. Well, we look forward to catching up with Wayne a little bit later on the show. But what have you been doing? Have you been competing since we spoke last week, uh, Catherine? No. No, I haven't. No, I'm still trying to get over winter here. I have big plans for the springtime and after we have our snow melt here. But right now I'm just sort of hibernating. And, uh, you know, I did, I was going to take a picture of me riding in my <laughs> snow pants. And then I thought, I thought, no, I can't do this to myself. I am not putting this on the Internet. So I'm, I'm afraid to disappoint. I'm just not going to do it, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> once it's out there, you know, that's it. You know, uh, exactly. It will come back to haunt me years, years it, from now, I'm sure of it. It definitely will. So I'm going to sketch this caricature of you with your snow pants, your, your Ugg boots. And, and, your and my ski boots. helmet. Don't forget my your, ski helmet. Your ski helmet. Goggles? Will there be goggles? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Uh, so will there be goggles as well as the ski, ski helmet? Uh, it's pretty dark in my arena because the snow <laughs> has covered all of the skylights, so it's probably better that I don't put goggles on. You have a lot of snow then, don't you? If, if this, if yes, this we snow. do. Yeah, well, we do. Well, so that makes it hard for you. Do you is, is your riding mainly arena-based, or do you go out hacking, as we say? It's impossible to hack, hack at the moment. We have a, a beautiful forest that we can ride in every day if we want to, but not when there's snow on the ground because, of course, it, it turns to ice the minute it hits the ground. So it would be, and we don't have any horses with, um, you know, with cleats on or what do you call them, studs or anything like that. That's so right. it would be very dangerous to go outside at this point in time. Right. Well, we're stuck in the arena. I'm sorry to hear that for you. You might, I, my, you have my sympathy, Catherine, but I have to tell you that we finally, after a really harsh winter here in Kentucky, we, uh, we've got sunshine, clear skies, and 40s, 50s, even 60s today. There's a beautiful weekend. I think we've finally turned the corner, and there's just a little bit of snow hanging in the, in the shadows, but not much left now. Well, I'm jealous. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry about we're, that. But, we're you know, still looking for that break over here. All right. Well, you know, we, we, we deserve this. I think everybody's glad and uh, nice to see the foals out now and able to go out in the sunshine, you know, get some sun on their backs. 
So yeah, uh, pretty time, very pretty time here in in Kentucky. Just for the for, for, to put this in perspective, Vector in Germany for for our listeners around the world here, Catherine. Where's the next nearest large town that they might recognize? Bremen. Bremen is about forty five minutes north of me. Okay. And Hamburg is an hour and a half north, and Frankfurt is about three hours south, and Amsterdam is about three hours to the west. Okay. Great. Great. Well, I'm sure the spring will come to you very shortly, and we'll compare notes as the as the weeks unfold. Yes, we will. <laughs> and you get you get you get rid of your your ski wear and back into your riding gear. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a few items of news, Catherine, before we get to our guest this week, and we must begin with mentioning the tragedy that occurred in at Palm Beach, Florida, last weekend to our fellow rider Courtney King Dai, who suffered a fall at home um, from a young horse. She was scrawling on the flat. A very simple movement. Uh, the horse lost his balance, as we understand it. And uh, she fell and hit her head and sustained a fractured skull and some bleeding in the brain and, uh, and also a pulmonary contusion. And as, as the latest information that I'm getting from Florida, Catherine, is that, uh, it is that Courtney is still in a coma. And everyone, of course, in the dressage community and beyond is praying for her uh, recovery, a speedy and full recovery from, from what was a very tragic accident and, and a very simple situation, Catherine. It just reminds us all of our vulnerability when we're riding. It, you know, it doesn't mean this doesn't just happen in eventing and jumping. It can happen in dressage too. That's right. And I, I think, I mean, it can happen. It can happen any time in life. It can happen getting in and out of the bathtub as well. Um, I, I do, I do have always recognized that riding is a dangerous sport and we do take a lot of precautions in my stable. I have to say we try to keep it as safe as we possibly can. But even if you take all the precautions in the world, you can't always protect yourself. And, you know, sometimes I'm not against wearing helmets. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody should, but sometimes even a helmet won't protect you enough. So I don't know. I think sometimes it, it pays to reflect on the fact that accidents are a part of life and they're a natural part of life and they do occur. And um, you can include me in that group of people who's been thinking about Courtney and praying for her recovery. And I know that at a time like this, everyone gets a little impatient and would like to get some different news. But, you know, I, I have the feeling she has a lot of healing to do and this could take some time. So I think it's a time for, for breathing and patience and waiting to see. Absolutely. Well, uh, we will bring you updates as and when we receive them here at the Dressage Radio Show. And in the meantime, we, we want to send from all of us here at the Horse Radio Network our very best wishes for the fullest recovery to Courtney and, and all to her family too. It's a very tough time for the family and all the close connections there and of course the many fans around the world. So uh, our sympathies are, and, and thoughts are going out to all of you there down in Florida uh, associated with uh, Courtney in any way and we know that it's a tough time but our thoughts are with you. But on a lighter note, uh, Catherine, down there it was Palm Beach. It was a World Cup qualifier down in the sunshine in, in Wellington this past weekend. And we had a winner in Tina Conyot. She won with Collecto on a 69.96. And in second place, Elizabeth Austin with Olivia. And uh, the, Can uh, the Canadian Belinda Trussell with Anton was third with 68.64. So we have a World Cup uh, winner 
It was a full weekend of, of competition. Uh, uh, obviously, a very busy time down in, in Wellington. And more and more riders go down there. I think even the Canadians are, are making it home as well, aren't they, Catherine? They, yes, they are. They are. But those results that you just read off, those are for the, the Grand Prix for the special. That had nothing to yes. do with World Cup. That was not a World Cup oh, sorry, qualifier. That, was for the that, special. that was for the yeah. special. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm tickled pink at the results that Tina is getting. She is just cooking with that horse. Yes. And I hope she keeps going because um, I see little bits and pieces of a team getting put together. And I'm, I'm very excited about, about the summer now. Yes, you're absolutely right. That was for the session. I should have qualified that. We will have the full results that we link to, as always, on, on our website. Uh, mm-hmm. So d- don't forget to, to check out our well, I, ha- I have the results here in front of me from the musical Freestyle, and it looks like uh, Michaela Gunderson won that with Leon Berg. Right, right. So right. She, she actually won the World Cup qualifier. She won the World Cup qualifier, yes. Then there, yeah. there was a full full weekend of, of competitions, with so CDI and national competitions there. I think hundreds and hundreds and uh, of of competitors. It 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 becomes a festival in itself, doesn't it? Yes, it, it absolutely does. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for that clarification, Catherine. Um, on another note, from England, uh, we hear that uh, Carl Hester's. Uh, partner Liebling the second has been sold to Canada you know that was a, a horse that he's done so very well on uh, he, w- he won the uh, he was actually scored a personal best at the Olympic World Cup qualifier in December with 78.45 uh, that uh, two-time European dressage horse uh, belonging to Donald McTaggart and been ridden by Carl Hester has now been sold to the Canadian team rider Cheryl Meisner uh, mm-hmm. There's a 13-year-old Holsteiner gelding by Laurentin out of Bernstadt. He was part of that British silver medal team effort in Windsor last year at the European Championships with Carl, and they scored a 72.09 there in the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he'll be losing the ride on that, but he also has another ride in the in the form of uh, Sasha Stewart's Utopia. That's his World Equestrian Games prospect now, and that horse has been making his debut in the Spanish Sunshine, Sunshine Tour down there in Spain. So, uh, you know, at least he has another horse t- to ride, and you, you know what that's like, Catherine. You lose one, you know, you always want, uh, you know, another one waiting in the wings, especially with the prospects of uh, a World Championship uh, coming up. Getting absolutely, team. absolutely, and I, you know, I don't know the inner workings of what took place here with um, the sales and the purchases and, the, and that sort of thing. But I, I can say, knowing Carl from the sidelines, and and I was also at the the London uh, World Cup qualifier where he did so well. Uh, Liebling too is a fabulous horse. I think, however, that Utopia might have a bit more future, and uh, I think that's probably why Liebling went to a new owner. I'm not sure of that. Uh, I do know that Robert Dover has been very busy putting together a team for Canada. He is really throwing his heart into coaching that country. And I'm sure that he was a little bit behind this deal. And I, I, I say kudos to him because he is really trying to put good horses under good riders for Canada. And I think that's that's a fabulous thing. Yes, it really is. It's, uh, especially this year, when we can, you know, they don't have to leave the continent. They can be, uh, you know, compete. They can be training here and not have to think about uh, traveling uh, any long distance to a championship event like they, we normally do. We normally right. have to go overseas, so it's a at least an advantage uh, in that respect. And it'll be very yeah. exciting, I think, for Canadian dressage. 
I think so too. I think it already is. <laughs> it already is. I know, certainly. Um, well, we uh, also should mention that we're getting closer now to the World Cup finals and that 15 yeah. riders from 10 nations will be competing at the 25th World Cup uh, dressage final. This year takes place in Hertogenbosch in the Netherlands at, at the end of this month. And, of course, those of you who will be following the World Cup uh, series will know that Stefan Peters uh, will not be defending his title. He's chosen to focus on the World Equestrian Games. Um, so at this point in time, there will be no uh, American representation. But the Western European league lineup is already decided following last weekend's final qualifying leg in Gothenburg, Sweden, where Adeline Cornelissen, of course, came out on top when we reported that. The Dutch rider will be joined by her gold medal winning partner, Edward Gull and Imke Schellikens-Bartels in the battle for the 2009-2010 title. And Germany will be represented by Isabel Wirth, Matthias Alexander-Roth and Carola Koppelman. <clears throat> they will be in action while Sweden's Patrick Kittel secured his place with an impressive second place. So they'll be heading the Western European League. Always tough competition. Uh, Catherine, uh, will, will you be going to watch that? I am going to watch. There's another um, meeting, actually. There's two or three major meetings on Friday, March 26th. Uh, which is the day before the World Cup final begins. So I'm going over the whole weekend. I'm going to go to the meetings and then watch the competition for a couple days. And uh, my birthday is on Friday, March 26th, so I'm going to be celebrating it in Sertogenbosch. And I would also like to mention that Louise Nathhorst has a birthday on the same day. So we're celebrating our birthdays together. We're pretty excited about that. Oh, what fun. What fun. Yeah. Now, now yeah. we know that. We're going to have to tease you. Uh, any, expect anything now. You know, if you give away your birthday on the Dressage Radio Show, you can... Oh, no. <laughs> you can expect anything on your fan page. But you, just, you can't ask how old I am. Because anyone uh, who asks that gets the same answer, and that's that I haven't celebrated my 39th birthday yet. Oh, is that the answer to it? Okay. That's the answer. <laughs> 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 I didn't. I purposely didn't celebrate on that year, so that I can keep saying that for the rest of my life. Is that right? That's that's an interesting way to put it. Okay. Well, I could say that I haven't uh, celebrated. No, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to ask me how old I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, have plenty of time to wish you a happy birthday. But it sounds like it's going to be fun. What a great, uh, great way to celebrate. I'm very much looking forward to it. Good for you. Good for you. All right. Well, we're coming now to our first uh, our guest this week. And uh, But before we do, uh, we're going to take a short break here for a commercial. So don't go away. We'll be right back. At Kentucky Performance Products, quality assurance is a key ingredient found in every product they sell. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards and certified facilities. Their ingredients are sourced from highly reputable suppliers, and their formulas are fixed to ensure consistency in each bucket. So what does the promise of quality assurance mean to you and your horse? It means you can trust that when you purchase a supplement for Kentucky Performance Products, you will see the results that you expect and the quality that you can count on. They guarantee it. Kentucky Performance Products, helping you keep your horses healthy, sound, and competitive. Visit them at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com.
Well, Catherine, uh, we, our guest this week, Wayne Shannon, I think is a, is, is a great addition to the Dressage Radio Show's roster. It's something we have not had on the show before, um, so it's a great idea to invite him on. And he, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is your first uh, Secretary General of the International Dressage Riders Club um, and also has uh, very strong opinions on uh, the, s- some of the current issues surrounding the sport. So let's hear what Wayne has to say. Wayne, uh, hello and thanks for joining us on the Dressage Radio Show. It's your first time here and we're delighted to have you on the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, you're wearing some new hats now and uh, I know we we want to talk about a few things here this week, uh, but not least of all uh, that you're the first Secretary General of the International um, Dressage Riders Club and something that Catherine and I talked about last week um, as a result of your recent meeting. What's on your agenda with this new role, Wayne? Well, this this is a new role and the... um just before I get into that, I think it's important to say that the IDRC now represents or has as members about 200 of the top riders in the world. We have to get a lot more riders in there, but the fact we have now got a secretary general is to say we are now of a size where our voice counts. And remember now that the dressage committee is now composed of each of the stakeholders. So we, the dressage riders, which is the largest stakeholder, has, should have the biggest voice. And I think now that we have a president, a vice president, and a secretary general, all focus on the same things, it shows that the organization is growing up. So for me, um, I've been involved with the IDRC for, in detail, for about two years, by being a member for many years before that. And the reason I joined it was because I heard an impassioned plea from Marguerite Autocrepin, who's the president, and she voiced really quite uh, earnestly her vision of dressage and how it could change. And I thought, I really do buy into this. The, um, because, you know, as riders, we are um, sometimes forgotten about. We're just the, the act, the show. And it's not true. We are dressage. In my opinion, without us, you know, there is no show. We train the horses, we ride the horses, we compete the horses, we produce everything. And to me, being very selfish, the world in dressage revolves around us and then around our owners because our owners support us. They help us do what we want to do. They take as much pleasure from this as we do and almost they're even more selfless. So I feel we have to have strong representation. And what I see the Secretary General role is doing, just to put it in context, the Secretary General in American terms is the Chief Executive Officer. In English terms, it's the Managing Director. So you deal with the day-to-day management of an organization. And I have a, my personal agenda is to, one, increase the membership of the IDRC to represent the vast majority of riders. It is to continue to support the work that's been done for on the welfare of the horse. And then it's to look at our system of judging, which I think is the big, um, the big thing that we need to reform even further than we have to take us to what is an objective, a completely object, or as, mu- as objective a sport as we can be. And finally, we have to increase the popularity of dressage, especially after what's happened over the last three months where dressage has taken a a bit of a hard knock from some activists who are against the way we've been riding our horses. So those are my four issues. Yeah, there's certainly, uh, there is an awful lot, as you say, in the limelight now. Um, But just going back to your membership issue, Wayne, is the majority currently of of membership, is that European-based? 
It is the vast majority of members, well, the vast majority, the vast majority of dressage riders are European. And the, most of the members, I come from Europe. The US is a, uh, a strong uh, nation in the IDRC. We have not only, we have on our board as well as many members, but we need a lot more. See, the, the, the Riders Club is not just for international dressage riders. We also, with open arms, welcome owners, supporters of dressage, grooms, national riders. The people who would like to be an international dressage rider, they're just as welcome as the actual dressage riders we have today. Young riders, pony riders. We are really quite Catholic in how we view the world. And this is because we are the organization that supports, we, we, we have, we are the funnel for these people. The judges have their own organization. The trainers have their own organization, but owners do not. And we want them to come with us and join us. We have the same mission. In fact, when you look at the Riders Club, the only thing an owner can't do inside the Riders Club that the international riders themselves can do is change our statutes. Everything else, they get an equal vote. Well, that's interesting that, uh, that you're embracing, you know, other types of membership. And when I when I alluded to the majority of, of membership being in Europe, obviously it is in the mainland of Europe. But I was thinking more of the, the, the British and the Americans and riders from around around the world. Uh, are they aware of the activities of the of of the club and uh, as they are now? No, I think they're very much not. Even amongst international riders themselves. I don't think there has been a large awareness. Over the last two years, it has increased dramatically. And over the next few years, it's going to increase even more so. But the reason for this is, historically, dressage has been controlled by um, some very competent, highly qualified judges who run the dressage committee. Now that has changed, the, we have one judge on the committee. We have one rider, one trainer, one chef to keep. We have a chairman who comes from the organizers, we have equal representation. And that means with this representation and with this equal voice, we have responsibility. And you know, and to an extent, riders have been looked after. We've been spoon fed for many years. And now we have to start deciding for ourselves on some very big issues. We, we have, I would say, not just an equal vote, a more than equal vote. Well, with that responsibility comes, of course, accountability, recognition by the FEI and other organizations. So I, I, I guess you will be building kudos and, uh, and, and respectability uh, over time. And, and I think one, one of the other things that uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, Wayne and uh, Catherine, please jump in here now, because I know that you're as passionate about this too, is the, is the just judging system and, and the club's involvement in that uh, do you want to start that, Catherine? Well, I, I think that um, Wayne and I have had many conversations about this recently, and I've, I've talked to other members of the club as well. Um, as riders, as professional riders who go down the center line every weekend, we are, of course, concerned about judging and where we would like to see it go and how we would like to see the system change. Um, Wayne is an expert on this. He has, he has moved the figures around inside and out and looked at all different possibilities. And I also participated in the uh, judging, what would you call it, judging trial that we had at Aachen last fall where we tried out a bunch of di different systems. What the FEI has decided or what the dressage um, 
or the dressage committee has decided is that they will eventually give half points a chance. We don't know where or when. Um, these half points are supposed to help us make the scores. I'm not sure what they're supposed to help us do, the half points, maybe make the scores <laughs> more consistent. Um, but they're also going to form what's called a judge's supervisory panel. And this supervisory panel will be made up of one or two or three judges that will simply observe the judging and the scoring. And we hope will eventually be able to correct mistakes that are made. But it's really, I think that this issue needs to be kept on our agenda really seriously. Uh, it, you can take last weekend as an example, and Wayne is aware of this too, in, in the Sunshine Tour here in Europe, down in, in Spain, we had huge discrepancies in the scores at the CDI level. And also, it must, it must have, there must have been something in the air. It was a full moon or something, because also in Florida, there were big discrepancies in the scores uh, at the CDI in Palm Beach. And, um, in fact, I have a, a score sheet right in front of me, and I'm, I'm looking at the scores from the freestyle. There was a horse that was in third place, and I have three very confident really good O judges sitting on the short side. So they're seeing a view that's pretty similar. And I have a difference in scores from 63.2% to 71%. And that's between two O judges sitting next to each other on the short side. So, Wayne, do you think that half points are going to fix this? Um, yeah, to some extent, and to some extent, not at all. The, the idea behind half points, which I've been championing for the last three years now, was to increase the accuracy of judging. To give you an example, one of the problems at the Sunshine Tour, probably the worst example this weekend, was the difference on one right of uh, over 10%, almost 11%. And just take, in theory, a horse, which had a a movement of 65% for every single thing it did. This horse doesn't exist, but it's, it's an imaginary horse. That means a judge should give it six and a half. We don't have a half point today. We have a six and we have a seven. So you could get the first judge saying, well, I'm going to round down, and the other judge saying, I'm going to round up. Therefore, you'd have one judge at 60 and one judge at 70. So the mm -hmm. problem to me is our system allows a 10% difference in the final mark and really, you can't even bat an eyelid. That is, that is not on. That is a, not a judging problem. It's a system problem. And I think the biggest problem in dressage judging is not the judges who, by and large, are very competent, very well-trained, especially at the top. They are experts. The problem is they have to interpret so much. It is, object it is not objective. They can, therefore, round up a little bit and round down. Some of the clever ones, and if you take our road judges, they're all good at this, I think, they will carry forward half a point and deduct half a point. So in their mind, they're already thinking, well, it's a little bit more than a seven, but not quite an eight. I'll, I'll give that a seven. The next one is not quite an eight, but it's a little bit more than seven. I'll give that an eight. And as a rider, this is a really a big problem because you look at your two pirouettes. Your pirouette right, you got a seven four, and your pirouette left, you get a six. You look at the video, and they both look the same. It's exactly yeah. because what? Judges round it up on one down the other to make the average. So the half points is to get rid of that problem. But it mm -hmm. is not the whole solution. For when Catherine was talking about Arkin and the judging trial, uh, David Stickland and I, we designed um, a trial called the component system. And what this was, was the, there's something called the, um, the Dressage Handbook for Judges. And this is a, an excellent publication. It goes through every single movement 
and details the movements down to the last, almost the last degree. So we'll say, this is how far you must extend. This is how much power you must have. But the problem with that book is it doesn't actually go the 100%. So, for instance, on an extended trot, you don't know how much overtrack there should be. Just it should have maximum overtrack. And that is interpretive. So I think to go to the next level, we've got to take a note out of how the gymnasts do this, which is probably the most similar system and, the be and better than ours, and say we need a code of points. And I think a code of points will be very difficult to do for us, but certainly if we try this, we will go further than where we are today. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get a code of points on your agenda. It's not met with, I would say, by the, um, uh, by the top judges. I, it's not been welcomed with open arms, but um, it's not been completely dismissed either. Well, it is a daunting task. We, we do have to give that to them. I mean, when you talk about actually defining the technicalities of dressage and assigning a point system to it, that is a daunting task. But I, I agree with you that it would probably be very helpful if we got that done. Yeah, I think so. I know it's daunting, but you know, this in the, in the, from history until today, this would be a job that we should leave to the judges to do. But my view is now, this is not just a judge's sport. It's, it's, it's a rider's sport, it's a trainer's sport, it's a judges and an owner's. We should put our experts, lock a few of them in a room for a while, and see what they come out with. We should have one or two riders, trainers and judges. They sit mm -hmm. down, they work out how we want to do it, and we can argue between us. Yeah. There is, you know, you need the judging input because you need to know what they can do. They know what right. they can do. We don't. We know what we train. When I'm looking at a, a Piaf, I've trained four horses in Piaf today, and I'm working on tiny little things each time. I don't just work on a six or a seven. I'm working on fractions of a, of a you know, a hair's breadth of one thing, a little bit in the other. So contact is important. How they swing, whether they're regular. All these things matter. And our judging system gives you one mark for all of that. It, to me, right. that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Catherine, do you see any other solutions to this, or do you feel that the, um, the uh, uh, dressage club, the riders club, will be influential in making those kind of changes? Do you think that, do you need to increase your numbers first to, to have that power of influence, or do you think it's I don't, something that... Yeah, I don't think we need to do that first. I think our, our influence is increasing um, because our numbers are increasing and we're becoming much more outspoken. As Wayne said, I mean, this is a this is a professional sport. It's also a commercial sport. We put an awful lot of money into what we do, into buying horses, into training horses, into going to horse shows. And when I ride down that center line every weekend, I do it as a professional. And I'm not being judged by a professional core of judges. It doesn't mean that they don't act professionally. Many of them do. Many of them are, are very, very well educated. I agree with Wayne that we have really some really top technical experts. But I feel that we should form a core of professional judges who are educated by a system which would have to be overseen by a, a group like the FBI, and that these judges are paid a salary. I, I would love it if in 10 years' time little kids in kindergarten can say, oh, I want to grow up to be a dressage judge because it's a real profession. And I think that when you, have, when you make a real profession out of the judging system, um, the people who judge, then you cannot, it's easier to, um, 
it's easier to create a system, it's easier to discuss a system, and it's easier to put a new system in place, especially if people are being paid to do it. In the moment, we have a, a fantastic core of volunteer people who don't get paid a lot on the weekend to do what they do, and they can't live from their judging. But if they were living from their judging, they would probably be held accountable for it, and the system would have to click into place and, and be held, the system would have to be... Um, Held up. Held up's not the right word. What's maintained. the right word, Wayne? Yeah. Ma- maintained. Maintained, thank you. Would have to be used, not just put in place, but also used. Yes. I mean, we have a system right now, but as riders, especially when we come out of a test with a 6 or 7 or 8 or 10% difference between two very educated judges sitting next to each other, we don't know how to explain that. And it, for, for someone like me who makes a living in the sport, I come away from a show like that and think, why did I spend my money? Mm-hmm. Well, talking That's about bitter, systems, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I also want to discuss the the recent uh, discussions, obviously, that have been uh, floating around, mostly in, around Europe, about the uh, low, deep, and round LDR, as it's come to be known. Um, what's your take on that, Wayne? Where do you see those discussions going with the group that's been formed by the FEI? Well, I think the group that's been formed has got a very difficult task. They have to work on producing a steward's manual, which is both comprehensive, clear, and enforceable. They also have to ensure that the stewards have the teeth to be able to implement the, the manual. Now, this has all come about because of the um, some um, very bad publicity last year, which um, uh, I guess was, in, to my mind, not at all proven. The case was brought up that one of our horses, one of our riders, rode his horse for much too long, um, but he, um, on the video, the video is only nine and a half minutes, it turns out that most people were objecting to um, really the the length, really, the, the fact he was in the roll cure position. Now, roll cure was defined then as just being very overbend. And I have never practiced roll cure. So I'm one of those riders that can absolutely sit on the outside and say, well, I'm going to be objective about this. I have no nothing to defend here. Now, they redef- I think very intelligently, when they looked at this, they looked at the problem and they said, um, what is the real problem? And the real problem is not overbending, because most of the top scientists are saying, actually, that's good for your horse. The real problem is um, rough riding. And there are some people who do ride roughly. I mean, humans are humans, and they get too excited, too possessive. This has to stop. But overbending, personally, I do not see the problem with overbending. It's stretching, and it's stretching in a controlled way with a gymnast. It's not stretching a horse that's not used to this. That would be having to use force. The whole idea, and what these people are doing in the low LDR working group, is defining what the picture should look like. What is harmony? What is a good horse? What is a, not a good horse, what is a, a horse which is at rest with what he's doing, at ease with his environment? And in dressage, you know, we are, I think, the, the, the top of the top when it comes to this. Our horses are treated like our best friends. We, not many of us have more than one Grand Prix horse, so we look after this with cotton gloves. The, the problem to me is there are a few people, and I'm sorry to say this bluntly, but they're very amateurish. They look at the aesthetics without looking at the science behind it. Mm. And an argument without science, 
I mean, I am a science. My background is scientific. The um, my business life is all revolves around science. I believe we have to have objective data to make a sensible decision. And we implement this. We, what we implement has got to be based on what is good for the horse. And this is what the LDR Working Group is going to do. And the people on it are experts. I mean, it's Wolfram Wittig. It's uh, Richard Davison from Dressage. These two people know the sport backwards. They are both expert trainers and riders. They both compete. They're both trainers. So I'm, we're in good hands there. Well, there's no doubt that it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, and as you mentioned at the beginning of this, Wayne, that there are, there's been negativity surrounding the sport. We need to put these things uh, front and centre and be seen to be taking action that is for the betterment of the sport in general. Uh, do, do you have anything to add to that on the LDR subject, Catherine? Well, I've, I've said it many times in my blog, and I've just said it again recently. I, I think that you... That dressage competitors should be allowed to train their horses in whichever system they choose as long as they're doing it sensitively. I am against aggression in training, and I know, you know, the other point I do have to bring up, because I'm a competitor, and I'm a, I'm a tough competitor, and when I go out there, I go to win, and I know a lot of people at the top do the same thing. You do also have to remember that this is not a tea party. It's a sport, okay? So people are going to get out there. They're going to get ambitious. They're, they're going to um, get tough. They're going to want to win. And, yeah, sometimes people will get carried away on the warm-up, and that's what our stewards need to keep an eye on. And I, I'm hoping that this LDR group that's been formed, this, this task force working group, is going to give the stewards some good idea of what should not be seen on the warm-up and where a rider should, where they should step in and say to a rider, hey, cool it down, this is too much, or you've done this for too long, or you're asking too much, or it's too much pressure. It would be nice if our stewards were trained to a point where they could just simply step up and in a quiet way say, this, this needs to be changed now. And I'm hoping that this group will find a way to do that, but it's, it is another daunting task. Well, certainly the several issues, as I said, are facing the sport right now, a very interesting period for the sport of dressage as it grows its yeah. fan base at the same time, and therefore we do need to make sure we have our house in order, so to speak. Wayne, I'm delighted that you were able to join us today. I hope you'll come back another time and talk more dressage with us here. Of course, it would be a pleasure, and I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much. Well, a very interesting conversation there with, with Wayne, Catherine. You know, a lot of hot topics right now going on in the sport, as we discussed. Yes, absolutely. And I, I just have to reiterate that it's, it's an exciting time in the sport, and it's an exciting time for the riders who, as Wayne mentioned, were, were finally getting together and kind of um, seizing the day for our sport. We've never really been involved enough, enough, and without the riders who compete, you don't have a sport anymore. So we do need to get involved, and we need to speak up, and we need to see if we can help ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also, you want to extend the membership uh, to, and, and that was interesting to know that, that, that the membership of the uh, Dressage Riders Club is not just for international level riders, it is for national riders and owners and grooms and, and other people involved in the sport. So I think that's that's very good news to know that it's, it, it extends its membership beyond the riders, international riders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, terrific. Well, that was uh, really great to have Wayne on, and I'm sure he'll be back here on the show in the future, um, not least of all as he prepares for the major competitions this year. And uh, no doubt he has his sights set on uh, a, a slot on the team, Catherine. Let's hope. Yeah, I, I think everybody's got their, their sights set on that this year. So yes. we'll see what happens. 
Absolutely. All right. Well, we're uh, we're coming to uh, a couple more items on the show here, and including Catherine's tip of the week. But before we get to that, we're going to take a, a break for another commercial. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a second. Glenn the Geek here, and we get many emails every week from people who really like the shows, and they ask how they can help support the Horse Radio Network. Well, you already do that by listening to the shows and by buying from all of our fantastic sponsors. And now you can add to that by supporting us directly and very easily. The next time you need something from Amazon, just go to any of our websites and click on the Amazon banner in the middle of the page. Then go on and buy your Amazon items. It won't cost you a penny more, just an extra click. But Amazon gives us a little bit back just because you clicked on the banner. Tell your family and friends to do the same thing. Every little bit helps us to keep giving you the quality equestrian programming that you have come to love. Thanks for listening. Well, Catherine, we started a series here a few weeks ago where, um, well, I invited uh, our listeners to write in with suggestions for great partnerships. You know, there have been so many great partnerships in the sport, and uh, many many of them are in recent memory, and some, in, uh, for those of us who are a little bit older, goes up, go back a little bit further, but we're not talking about our ages, right? Uh, and the, no, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> and the extent of our memory. <laughs> uh, I was Let's not talk about that either. No, no, well, I was I was making that point because I think my memory is probably a little bit longer than yours, only because of the years, not because of uh, short or long-term memory. Okay. <laughs> but one of the great partnerships um, that was that, uh, was mentioned was, of course, Nicole Uphoff with Rembrandt. A uh, few people have mentioned him, but we want more suggestions from you. Keep those ideas coming. You can send those to me, chris at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, uh, I will pursue those so we can relive some of those memories with the riders. Uh, Again, the point is they have to be retired from competition now so we can reflect on their careers. Um, And any ideas from you, Catherine? Any favorites that come to mind for you? Well, the first one that pops up is my good friend Louise Naphorst with her horse Walk on Top. Um, right. She won World Cup with Walk on Top. I can't remember which which year it was, but that was just a spectacular combination. Yes, it's yes, it, cer- it certainly was. Well, I think we should add uh, Louise to our list of great partnerships and see if we can't have her on the show here to talk about uh, that relationship, those careers, and and the wonderful memories that go with it. I'm sure if you give her a ring, she'll be happy to talk to you. Great. Okay. Um, well, we're coming now to our tip of the week. Uh, Catherine, you very very kindly stepped into the uh, co-host chair, and you know we put you on on the co-host on the spot every week with with a tip. That's uh, you know there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? You have to come up with something for us. Oh dear, <laughs> tip of the day. Tip. Okay. Tip, tip um, the, well, tip of the week, and and I, it, yours is an interesting one. I think you you wanted to talk about learning to sit the trot. Yes. Yes. Well, I, you know, when people come to me and they want to learn my way of riding, I, I'm always skeptical. And I always tell them that they're going to have to learn to sit before they learn to use their reins. So sitting is a big part of my program. And uh, I'm, I'm always very much after people to learn to sit the trot, to learn to sit the canter, to learn to follow the horse with their seat before they learn to use their seat, which is a whole different ball game. And um, I try to teach people to ride skeletally as opposed to muscularly. Okay, that that's interesting. Explain a little bit how you achieve that. Well, 
I think the best way is to do it in your mind's eye when you're sitting on a horse. And most people that train with me learn to learn to sit first on the lunge line uh, before they learn to sit with the reins in their hands. And if they're on the lunge line wearing a helmet, of course, uh, with their stirrups crossed, and that means they don't have any stirrups, but they're holding the stirrup leathers, so they've got a little handle there in front of the pommel, and they're kind of pulling their seat into the saddle. We call that IAS uh, in my in my stable, but I won't tell you what it stands for. Uh, you have to figure that out. <laughs> but, um, All right. Well, that's our quiz of the week, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then I just I tell people position your skeleton correctly on the horse or comfortably on the horse. That's probably a key word. Position your skeleton comfortably on the horse, and it usually involves having the knee much further forward than people think it does. Once you get your knee well in front of your hip joint, you can then simply bend it to bring your heel back under your seat bone. And I'm always telling people to drop their toes just to let the toe hang naturally out of the ankle so that you're not um, gripping or tensing any muscles in your legs. I call this riding skeletally because you simply position your bones and then allow your joints, in particular your pelvic and hip joints, to absorb and follow the motion of the horse. This is one way to learn to sit the trot. Well, this takes me back to, and my memory, of course, goes back so much further than yours, Catherine, to those early days when I learned to ride um, and developing an independent seat. And I've talked about this on on the dressage radio show and and the eventing radio show, and it is something that is fundamental to all riders and there's a lot of adult amateurs that come into the sport that don't have the benefit of that early training and learning an independent seat and and as you will appreciate uh, Catherine you know growing up in England you know we rode ponies bareback we didn't even have a saddle I thought you were very generous you gave them the saddle you crossed they crossed the stirrups but at least they had a saddle (laughs) I grew up on a pony riding bareback as well Right. So, you you know, it and, it and it does, for those people that don't have the benefit of doing that, of doing Gymkhana and Pony Club and, and learning an independent seat, it's something that has to be taught. It's not something that comes naturally to them and they learn that natural balance. There's so many people that only ever ride in an arena, right? That's true. That's true. And if you have an adult amateur who's just learning to ride, the, there's usually two factors that um, will either really help them or hurt them. One is suppleness. The more supple a person is, generally speaking, uh, the more relaxed and elastic they can sit on a horse, which is very good. Um, And then fear. If you have someone who's a little bit afraid that they might fall, it's going to make their muscles tense, and they're going to ride muscularly and not skeletally. So those two factors are usually the, the... the suppleness thing is a physical factor, and the fear thing is a psychological factor. And I think every good trainer has to learn to work with both. That's very true. Well, now you've p- p- piqued my interest. Now, where did you grow up riding ponies? In Michigan. Oh, did you? Okay. So yeah, did you go yeah. through pon- pony club and, and all that kind oh, of stuff? Oh, no. No, we didn't have <laughs> pony club. We had 4-H, which is something altogether different. And it was, I mean, 4-H was great, and we had a lot of meets, and we had people who who taught us to ride. And But, but generally speaking, in 4-H, um, horses are treated a little bit more from an angle of livestock than actually like pony club where you're talking about equestrian sports. There's a lot of uh, western riding and what they call English riding and stuff like that in 4-H. And, but Jim Kahana as well. Jim Kahana is but so... I, I, I did not grow up in a horsey family. So okay. when I was six, I wanted a pony, and my mother thought, oh, that's a cool idea. So she took me to this 
Shetland pony breeder that had 400 of them on a field, and we picked one out. <laughs> and it was a wild Shetland pony mare. And we brought it home, and it bucked me off for 100 days before it let me stay on it for the whole time. Is that right? <laughs> yes. My father put X's on the cal- calendar. <laughs> well, ponies will do that to you, won't they? Oh, That's they, so did they you, can did be you evil. Always do- they can be really evil. Uh, yeah. they, they're, they're very calculating, aren't they? I mean, if they want to... They're yeah, really they? smart. They're really smart. So when you were growing up at that point, did you go then straight to dressage, Catherine, or did you, did you do something else as well? Oh, no. I, I grew up uh, riding Western and barrel racing and uh, saddle seats. I did a lot of saddle seat, and I used to drive my horses as well. I had a, a dog cart that I put my horses in, and I, I did some ple- what they call pleasure driving. I didn't get into dressage until my early 20s. Oh, wow. And that came, that came out of eventing. Just a few short years ago then. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, terrific. Well, thank you, Catherine. I'm so glad you were able to step in and join us this week. That's very sweet of you to uh, join uh, join the Dressage Radio Show as a co-host. It, you know, not everybody wants to get in the hot seat, but I know you have uh, you have uh, you know quite a lot that you like to get involved with with the sport, and not just as a rider, but uh, you feel invested in. Uh, we're wearing so many different hats that uh, we're, play- we're you know, thrilled that you're able to join us. And also, we should point out that we're now carried by the Chronicle of the Horse, and you have a blog on the Chronicle, right? You tweet about it. I do, it. yeah, you, you, I do. You. And you're enjoying that still? I am enjoying it very much. I'm, maybe I'm having too much fun with it. I, I just, <laughs> wrote, just wrote a blog about using a bunch of different abbreviations because you know how everyone's talking about LDR and LDL and HS and I mean if you if you flip through the blogs and the forums there's there's people just using these I guess you call them acronyms no they're not acronyms they're just yes. abbreviations. Um, yeah, abbreviations. And I and I you know I'm not really all that used to the blogosphere so I look at these things and it takes me ten minutes to figure out what they stand for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I put a few in my last blog and I'm waiting to see if anybody else can figure out what they are. Well, now that's prompted me to go and take a look. And yeah, you better go take a look at it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Catherine. But we're about running out of time here this week. Uh, but we want to remind you all that you can reach us uh, at our dressageradio.com website, where our show notes are posted. You can also visit us on Facebook. We have a fan page there, as I do too. And I want to thank everybody for joining that fan page. You can leave your comments and questions there. You can also follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. And also you can follow me at Chris E. Stafford. Don't forget the E in the middle, Chris E. Stafford. And I tweet about the shows all the time. You can contact us with your questions or comments, ideas uh, for for me or for any of our co-hosts here or suggestions for guests. And if you have any questions for Catherine, I'll be sure to pass those along too. You can send those to me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. And, uh, and a big thanks again to Catherine Adat for being our guest co-host here this week. Catherine, thank you so much. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Well, until next week, uh, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, enjoy your riding.